This episode is brought to you by AREP, American Real Estate Partners. If you think about the future of retail, the war is over, Amazon won, Alibaba won, the future of retail is dead, but the future of brands is physical. And as tech and AI accelerate, which they are doing, and as they go towards ever more effective velocity, and as they can handle with ever simplifying ease, delivery, purchase, selection, experience has to raise the bar as well. That's Scott Malkin, who leads Value Retail and co-owns the New York Islanders. Scott has major connections to New York real estate. His brother is Anthony Malkin, the CEO of Empire State Realty Trust. And of course, the sporting community. He is best known outside the US for creating and operating the Bista Village Collection. Bista is a group of designer outlet shopping destinations in the UK, Europe and Asia. It began in 1995 in Bicester, a town in Oxfordshire in England. Today, that village is said to be the second most visited place in the UK by Chinese tourists after Buckingham Palace. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode of BizNow Reports, Scott Malkin is talking about having his sights firmly set on the USA, specifically Long Island. The 12th Bicester Village location is coming to Belmont Park as part of the mega-development that features the recently opened UBS Arena which is now the permanent home of the Islanders. Belmont Park Village, which is across from the arena, will have room for more than 160 luxury brands. And the parking structure that's going to be shared by the arena and the retail is fully built and just opened. Construction on the retail is set to start this quarter. In a moment, Scott's talking about the future of retail and about luxury branding, but I began by asking him what the thesis was of putting hockey, entertainment and retail together. The thesis is very much built on the one that has worked so successfully twice for us, once uh, for Disney Paris and once at Shanghai Disney, where we're on the master estate, the master plan Disney estate. Shanghai Disney were actually physically adjacent to the theme park. Disney Paris were a few uh, kilometers down the road on on the Disney campus. And what happens is with locations like that, they become internationally recognized that transport infrastructure and identity is incredibly clear. And yet we don't succeed because Disney guests shop with us. We add an element to the Disney experience that Disney can offer its guests, but we have a standalone retail uh, locus and we are in fact a, a standalone retail oasis and a fashion oasis. So so we always say we're about to enter now some difficult economic times. We've just had the pandemic. We always say we're providing an escape from life's normal pressures. That's our job, is to create that sense of liberation and exaltation that fashion brands aspire to create every day in their marketing and in their communication. So the logic there is not so much that the same guest will shop and then go to a Harry Styles concert, though that's technically possible, but rather that the same guest will know the location and will come on a shopping trip specifically to embrace the fashion and the brands present. Now, 
one of the neat things that's possible uh, as a result of having the concert uh, business and the arena is if you think about the O2 in London or you think about any arena, the suites, uh, the luxury suites, those are all qualified shoppers, right? So of our 19,000 music guests, 3,000 of those are in suites and clubs. They're premium buyers. They're all effectively, if you think of it in terms of American Express, they're all black card holders or black card candidates. So as a fashion brand, if you can have access to that group and serve them in a pragmatic way, not just marketing at them, but actually touching them in a real way, that's very interesting. So what will happen, uh, one of the things we can do is we can take those guests and offer them a VIP exclusive selection or a special drop from a brand which is built on gifting, right? So jewelry, watches, uh, specific items that don't need sizing. And the brand has all of its retail infrastructure already in place on the property, has retail staff, has storage, has all its all its infrastructure, its its tech infrastructure, and imagine it's Elton John, the Yellow Brick Road farewell tour. You've got a suite of twenty people, and some person comes in with an attaché and says, "Here's the Alessandro Michele design because Elton does so much with Gucci uh, Yellow Brick Road special collection." There's no way that the the guests in that suite are not going to have to buy gifts for their loved ones with them or for their loved ones not present. The whole idea of what we do is to create memories. So a memory can be, I was there when Harry Styles launched his album. A memory can be, I was there when something remarkable happened in terms of sport. And I've got the handbag to show it. The handbag, the bracelet. The idea of the Bista Village collection is that malls are on the outskirts of big global cities, accessible from places like London or Shanghai, or in this case, New York, but not in direct competition with those cities either. Belmont Park benefits from the Long Island Railroad Elmont Station, the first new station in nearly 50 years. It opened last November and coincided with the start of the first Islanders game. But it's not just about the accessibility of the location, but the fact that the US doesn't have anything like this yet, according to Scott, and the fact that the department store experience has been widely eliminated. This is something of a homecoming in a, in a way for you. you. You do have deep roots in New York real estate. Your father's Peter Malkin, your brother's Anthony Malkin, who's the CEO of Empire State Realty Trust, who obviously um, they run the Empire State Building. But you started your career in retail by creating Two Rodeo Drive in the early 90s before coming over to London. What makes you think or what makes you believe that you know what will work in America? Very fair question. We've done a lot in the U.S. now for this entire period while uh, we've been living in London. I've, I've been in London since uh, we built Rodeo Drive, opened it in 88. We sold it to the Japanese department store Sogo in 89-90, moved to London 90-91, but never left uh, what I would call a New York sensibility, American roots. New York has that can-do Tradition. One of the things we did, just as an aside, is we've never had a head office since 1992. When Which we found I find very retail. interesting, and I'd like to talk about that in a moment too. <laughs> well, the beauty of not having a head office, beyond the fact that it anticipated the realities of COVID, is that 
it allows people to take responsibility for their own roles and responsibility, their own roles and, and their own actions, rather than being able to blame the nationality of the country where the head office resides. If we had a head office in New York or in Munich or in Paris, people would just lean back and say, oh, it's it's those. It's because they're English. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, they're getting in the way. Yeah. So you know, we, we have hopefully created a setting where people who are comfortable with more accountability and more empowerment are drawn to work in our culture, which is without question more at times chaotic, but other on the other hand, hopefully more energized and uh, it, you know, it itself is a more interesting experience, we hope. So that's one point. Secondly, we've built in the U.S. throughout the last 30 years, not retail, particularly hotel and residential. And then through um, my roots I have in the industry in the U.S., Urban Land Institute, other other groups, going back, learning from others, the, the arbitrage, the cultural arbitrage of ideas, products, concepts across country boundaries and certainly across the Atlantic is a very interesting space and has helped us to do our jobs a lot better. So I would say... Bista's new, right? Bista, this is the first outpost, North American outpost for Bista. For the Bista collection. The Bista collection. So, collection, rather. So you are really taking this concept that's been very successful in the UK and Europe and Asia to North America. And there the trick is the brands themselves. Mm, Interesting. The brands are global platforms. And if you are a leading and definitive brand, Gucci, Prada, you know what you want, you know what you require. And the reality is, if that works for you in Paris, thanks to the Bister Collection, if that works for you in Shanghai, thanks to the Bister Collection, it's really binary. Do you need it or not in North America? Do you need it or not in Metro New York? And of course, just as we tested before we went to China, just as we tested before we went to seven different countries in Europe, we go talk to the brands. And the old shopping center idea was you talk to the department store and they told you where they would go or wouldn't go and why, what they needed or didn't need. And they were the constraint on ridiculous shopping center development until the shopping center developers started buying the brands and then the balance was was changed. And in the same sense, we've gone to these brand partners. We don't write leases. We write royalty agreements, just like the elite department stores. And we share in the risk and the reward of the performance of the brands. And we talk to those brands every day about how they could perform better through our retailers. Now, I'm tolerated, but I'm not a retailer. So the brands want to talk to their own cultural tribe. And we know that these brands have a need in the U.S. for what we would call shopping, tourism destinations, experiential shopping that is not delivered today in the U.S. full stop. You can't find it at full price. In the department stores, it's pretty much gone because the department stores, as they consolidated uh, through mergers and as they um, eliminated positions. Department stores are all now run by financial people, not by merchants. 
they're no longer you don't enter as a buyer and go up the scale you know trained by merchants it's all accountants and it's all it's all quantitative analysis and algorithms which are important but they don't define experience what is a luxury brand now in your eyes would you say i feel like that that used to have a really obvious answer like tiffany cartier but now in a world of influences and, and instagram i mean well, what do you see as a luxury designer? This is a wonderful, a wonderful uh, question because uh, depending on who's answering the question, one gets very different answers, different responses. The ultimate indus- ultimately the industry view on which not everyone agrees, but at least they, they argue is defensible, is that there are only three luxury brands in the world, Vuitton, Chanel, and Hermes. Lucas Solka who's the top-rated retail industry analyst in the securities sector, says that to be a luxury brand, you cannot be defined as a global brand, which is having a bit of fun because even those three brands I just mentioned are all global brands. But it's something about scarcity, exclusivity, uh, precision of identity and relationship with the the guest or the shopper. The thesis would be Instead of good, better, best, I would argue it's affordable fashion or, if you'd like, disposable fashion. Then you have what I would call volume distribution. Then you would have what I would term uh, premium brands. And then you have this wonderful, for everyone involved in fashion, vital competition to be a luxury brand because that's, again, the North Star. And if brands aren't fighting every day for that positioning, the industry dies. And then everything is algorithm-driven and bought at a, the lowest possible price and designed to the lowest common denominator by an Amazon algorithm. If you think about all the data Amazon has, and it will just become more and more usable, they can figure out what's selling. And they can give you that item well-made for the lowest price in the world. And there's a reason why they haven't taken over fashion, which is that actually fashion involves both the the brain and the soul. It's intellectual and emotional. And fashion will never be purely algorithm-driven. And then you get into a definition of luxury, which includes, by the way, what's a luxury experience? What's a luxury meal? Is time, as several fashion pundits had said at, at a point not so long ago, is time the ultimate luxury? Is choice the ultimate luxury? Is actually, in your question, it's the essence of where we're going. Because the ability to select a definition, communicate the relevance of that definition, and then deliver the experience that's associated with that definition is where the world already is. And the reality is, generally, people are saying it, but nobody knows how to deliver it. And what we know is it's expensive and complicated to deliver some version of it. And we're always incredibly transparent. Nothing we do is a secret. It's so painful to do what we do that nobody seems to want to do it either. If you look at Vuitton, LVMH, I should say, They're buying hotel chains at the luxury level. They're installing 
hoteliers into their culture across the, across the landscape, just as we do. They're saying we're not a commercial organization, we're a cultural organization when they explain themselves. They're, they're pushing the boundaries and that's, as Darwin's mantra wasn't the survival of the fittest, it was the survival of the species who adapt the best. And that's where, that's where retail is today, forcing adaptation, forcing change through agility. Wellness is in our DNA. At American Real Estate Partners, we believe better spaces lead to better days. That's why we dedicate ourselves to providing the best in health, safety, and connectivity portfolio-wide. With our entire portfolio UL Healthy Buildings verified and well health safety rated, our customers can increase their physical and mental well-being while encouraging and enhancing productivity. We assure the safety and comfort for our customers as they return to the workplace with confidence and clarity. That is the AREP difference. Visit AREP at AmericanRAPartners.com for availabilities. When it comes to malls, there aren't a huge number of success stories in New York City. So the Hudson Yards Mall, the, the shops at Hudson Yards, what they call it, uh, lost its anchor tenant in 2020 when Neiman Marcus went bankrupt. Empire Outlets on Staten Island it went into foreclosure last year. And the Oculus, the Westfield Malls, had all sorts of troubles, lawsuits with, <laughs> with retailers, a bit of a stalled start. So maybe COVID was a key issue for a lot of these places, but there's not, it's not like there's a huge um, bed of success stories that you can point to when you're developing your, your operation at Belmont Park. Well, I, I think the trick to New York City is there are some extremely successful, you can call them malls if you want, shopping experiences that have been there historically. One's called Madison Avenue. One's called Soho. The Hudson Yards idea was very interesting because, firstly, it was predicated on the assumption that New York could handle a third hub for fashion shopping beyond, call it, the east side and downtown. And secondly, that entire complex is the place in New York where you can find Singapore, Dubai. It, it's an elevated platform-based construct, state-of-the-art office buildings, a multi-level shopping experience. And of course, at the top of the high line, so so counterintuitively, enormous tourism potential. I would say Hudson Yards will succeed as a destination, has succeeded, will continue to succeed as a destination because of its overall composition. And then the group that, that developed Hudson Yards related are very agile, they're, they're clever. They'll figure out ways to drive retail experience at Hudson Yards. The other place is um, a shopping center, if you think of it that way. Very difficult because effectively it's old technology in a high-tech world. It doesn't matter whether it's the Oculus or uh, what, you know, any of a hundred very successful shopping experiences in North America by financial performance. Right? The mall is dead is the one thesis, but actually the mall is not dead at all. There are going to be 300 sparkling, terrific successful commercial shopping malls, but they will not yet, and the question is, can they ever deliver a remarkable experience? Or is the construct, the back to the hardware, does the hardware provide a limitation? Does the software, do you need 
department stores? Do you need a food court? Does that define experience? It's, if you think about it, a place is defined by its population. So if you don't, um, if you don't produce magnificent, edgy, fashionable people, can you be a fashion location? Right? The, the, the joke about people wearing counterfeit fashion brands is that the damage is less the lost sales. So I think, I think the answer is that firstly, we're not a shopping center company or a shopping mall company. That's not what we do. And I don't say that gratuitously. There is nothing in our DNA that says traditional real estate shopping solutions. Secondly, um, we are very precise in our role. And I think, by the way, we can be a wonderful complement to arguably the most significant in scale outlet shopping location in the world outside of New York, Woodbury Common. It's absolutely vast. It's three or four times the size of Bister Village. Bister Village is the most productive shopping location at any price point in sales per square foot. But Woodbury Common is is um, remarkable. And yet, obviously, in the opposite direction from us and people in Long Island are not just popping up to Woodbury Common. It's, it's, two, it's two or three hours, depending on traffic, to get there. And they just don't go. So I think part of my answer is Woodbury Common's fantastic success. They do something different. They're located in a different place. I think from a brand perspective, it could be thrilling to have access to both. It's very much on the route towards northern, you know, driving north for holidays and second homes, which we won't be. Um, and I think we'll be a lot about the same woman who would look for us in other parts of the world, who, as far as we can tell from our studies, isn't going to Woodbury Common. She, she's not necessarily today thinking of New York as a shopping location outside of full price. Because I think we're looking for this elevated, qualified customer that doesn't think of herself as an outlet consumer and certainly not in the U.S. version, which is essentially... Suburban, it, it's, it's going it's, out for cheap gap or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's the goods are phony and the price... You know, buying something half price at half, half quality is not a deal. That's not value for money. That's, that's, that's an artifice. And the brands in the U.S. have been allowed to get away with that, both on a regulatory basis and you know, they've been driven to the need for that by being companies that need to produce quarterly results. I understand how this happens. But in our villages, you know, that, that is a, that's outlawed in the contract. And if brands were to do that, they'd be asked to correct it. And if they don't correct it, they leave. So are you thinking that you're going to reshape how Americans see the Outlook Outlet Mall a little bit? It, that's a fantastic question. The answer is uh, no. We're going to declare that we have nothing to do with the Outlet Mall. We have nothing to do with the tradition of shopping centers. We are going to introduce the Bister Collection, which is fundamentally about experiential shopping, black book clientele, full-price customer acquisition with the best brands in the world. And it happens to sell authentic surplus merchandise, but it has nothing to do with the outlet mall as a concept. Does it feel weird to be building retail 
in an environment and a time where other companies are demolishing malls. That's the old story that uh, the, the, the retail sector is not overbuilt, it's under-demolished. Uh, here's the most exciting thing. If you're a real estate developer, which I am, there are very few real estate developers left, certainly in retail. They, they were developing, now they're financial, they're operating. Very few new retail locations are created. If they are created, like the design district in Miami, it's very possible that it's a, a brand initiative. LVMH was central to that. Uh, there was no mall company as a partner in that project as it was conceived, though over time they added some investors. The, the reality is that while physical retail is shrinking to what will be this portfolio of Tiffany stature, top-performing institutional assets, virtually none of today's physical locations are fit for purpose. So as a developer, it's wide open. There's, there is, there's not, no one would build a regional mall today the way they would have built one 15 years ago. So what would one build, firstly? And secondly, if nobody would build one today, why are people still shopping at them? And the answer is because there's no better alternative yet available. So by the way, the locations are often tremendous. But what happens is even the best ones are too big. They're too anonymous. You know, the idea of great service is you know, a green light showing you where there's a parking space in the underground garage. That's not bad to have that green light, but that's not experience. And that's not service. That's efficiency. That's pushing, you know, malls were essentially the alternative to Amazon. They can't compete with Amazon, so they have to be something different. And from a developer's perspective, it's for, it's wide open opportunity, but there's no formula. There's no model that can just be rolled out. So it's this really pivotal moment of inception. And people can't see what comes next. But we do know in a small, specific way, what we do works. And we do know that Belmont Park Village, as the only jewel in the chain, in the necklace, as the only Bister Village collection location in North America, we do know it will work for our guests and our brands because we've gone to eight countries together already. Doesn't mean we are perfectly suited. We can't just roll something out that we've done everywhere else. We have to customize, make something correct for New York, but we know that our product will work in New York. Scott, thank you so much for making time. Thank you. 